We will be reading from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verse 26 to 29. And I will be reading from the ESV. And it reads, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, this morning, again, we get to journey through the gospel according to Mark under the series On the Road with Jesus. And since February, uh, we have been uncovering the depths of who Jesus is according to Mark's gospel. And this series has provided us really such beautiful insight into our Lord and Savior to be able to watch him so closely, to to hear every word as we read it, to, to see every scene within our mind's eye as this series has truly been a gift to us as a body. And this series also reminds me of a road trip I've made four times. The the trip from Orlando to Kansas City and Kansas City to Orlando, I, I, I did twice. And it's supposed to be a 17-hour drive. If you drive like me, you can make it in 14. I'm not bragging. That's I understand. But if you, if you drive like me, you make it in 14. But what happened for us is we were moving two U-Hauls with two cars hitched to those U-Hauls. And so we couldn't pass 65 miles an hour, and so what was supposed to be a 17-hour drive, what I knew I could make in 14, turned into a 25-hour drive, and so it was sort of brutal. But, but the, the truth is, is that the road was beautiful. It's not a bad road trip. You ever taken a road trip where it's just like forest, and like as you're driving, you're like, this is boring. And that's not the drive that this offered. This drive, this trip took us through four big cities. It took us through plenty of different biomes from the mountains in Tennessee to the forests in Georgia, the farms in Missouri. And then you have the cities that you drive through. I mean, it was a beautiful, scenic drive that that just gave us stuff to look at. My point is, is that this journey with Jesus, this, this being on the road in this series is filled with landmarks and points of interest that you and I get to see and as well, and we get to soak in and learn from, and we've been driving slow, right? We've been driving slow. It's in the slowness of our pace that we're able to see every detail and take in every view, to see every detailed illustration from the hand of God. We are driving slow. Two weeks ago, or or, uh, last two weeks, I should say, and then this week, and then for one more week, we embrace sort of another milestone in this journey, the, the parables of Jesus. And if we remember what comes just before them, we know that in chapter 1, verses 1 and 11, that Jesus is the Son of God, that in one fifteen that he's a king bringing with him the establishment of his kingdom, that in 17, he calls people to himself, that in 21 through 28, that he has all authority over the physical and the spiritual, that in, in uh, verse 41, that he is healing, willing to heal 
heal us, that in chapter 2, verse 8 through 11, that he cares for our physical plights, but most importantly, our spiritual liberation, that in 228, that he's Lord over everything, that in 327, he will plunder the house of Satan, and in 410 through 12, that he speaks in parables for his children to understand and to warn those who are not his. And this text, this morning's text, positions us at yet another parable, a parable that is closely connected to the first one, the the sower seed and soils, if you remember. Mark's writing, stringing these parables together, not because this is how Jesus would have said them. It's not because he would have went in from one parable to another to another, even though he probably did. But rather, Mark is, this is probably things that Jesus said often in his his ministry. These are things that Jesus probably said over and over and over. And, And the beauty of Mark's writing is he's stringing these collections of parables, the one that we've been studying the last few weeks, he's been stringing them together to help us understand them, right? To help us understand them, all of them dealing with the kingdom of God. And so since this is the topic of of Jesus's parables, Jesus is a sort of cryptic messaging, then we must remember the words of John the baptizer when he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, what John was saying is the kingdom of God is here. You can touch it with your hand. It is actually here. It has made its entrance with the coming of this king's ministry. And this is the exact same message that Jesus preached in the synagogues and to the crowds and in our setting now that there is a kingdom, a nation, a city of God that has come and is advancing. It is happening now. But these are curious words, especially for the people before Jesus in this scene right now listening to him. These are curious to them. They're they're probably looking around saying, where is the palace? Where is the castle? Where are its walls? Why are you no king? You're a carpenter. What, What are you talking about? How is this kingdom? Where is this kingdom? And how has it come already? And we find the answers to these questions in the midst of the parables. Our parable specifically is unique to Mark. No other gospel records it, but that does not mean we regard it as any less valuable a pearl. The Apostle John says that in, in his writings, that all of, if all of what Jesus said and all of what Jesus did was actually recorded, we wouldn't have a book, we'd have a library. And so when we see things show up in one gospel that's not in the others, we should praise God that this nugget was not forgotten, but that God saw fit to give it to us to help us here in this world, to strengthen the faith of those who are in his kingdom. Now, before we continue, I would ask that you pray for me as I pray for you as together we hear from God this morning, okay? Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we ask you again to make the hardened heart soft, to make the cluttered minds clear to 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 the, the the busy attention would you slow it down we ask that you give us ears to hear your word this morning and let it take deep roots in our heart oh god would you gift the congregation with attentiveness and grace for my errors 
as you gift me, the preacher, with clarity of speech and thought, that you may be lifted high this morning in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. As some of you know, I, I love video games. That's just, I, I love them very much. They're a part of who I am from my earliest memories of my childhood. The games were always present. Another thing I love to do is lists. I love to like categorize and kind of rank things. I know like for the lenses, they got a, a list of my Marvel Cinematic Universe rankings of, of all the movies and where I thought which ones were best and which ones were not as good. But I, I love to do that. But one of the lists that I have in my arsenal of lists, um, beware, I'm ready, um, is a list of greatest video games of all time. Well, ones that I've played. I can't account for anyone that I haven't played. But number eight on that list is a game called Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley is, uh, I love this game so much. It's a game where you inherit your grandfather's farmland, okay? It's a gigantic farmland in the town of Stardew Valley. And your job, among other things, is to tend to the farm, right? It's to, in each season, you are responsible for growing particular crops and harvesting all that comes from that, right? And the, the way time is passed in the game is through days. There's a day cycle, but the days are short. And so you have to try and plan and be as productive as possible in each day. The, the great thing about this game is that you can till the soil, you can sow the seeds, you can water it every day, and yet sometimes the plants won't grow. That is a sermon within itself. It's as if the creator of the game has, I don't know this, I'm assuming, just finding the gospel and everything, right? It's as if the creator of the game has accounted for the mysterious fact that there is something outside of yourself that causes life to spring from the ground that you cannot achieve. Our parable this morning is of similar things. The parable this morning is to the sowers. It's to the laborers on the farm of God or the kingdom of God. Now, for us to be truly an understanding of this parable, we have to remember some things regarding the two parables that came before it. The sower, seeds, and soils, Mark chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus is teaching among the people. People who are his disciples and people who are not his disciples. And he teaches a parable about a sower who liberally sows his seed everywhere. On the hard path, on the rocks, on the soil with thorns, and on the good soil. And the sowers are us. We are doing the work of God by sowing seeds, which is God's word, into every heart or soil, right? It's not our job to discriminate soils, but to sow in every soil, to sow God's word in the hardest heart, to sow God's word in the shallowest heart, to sow God's word in the divided heart, and to sow into the open heart. As H.B. Charles says, this parable is descriptive, not uh, definitive. It illustrates how things are, not how they have to be. In other words, wayside soil does not have to stay wayside soil. Stony places don't have to stay stony places, and thorns don't have to stay thorns. God is able to change the heart, so be encouraged, keep sowing, and trust the seed. And last week, there was another parable that came after that, the lamp under the basket. There's this lamp, and it's covered, it's on, and it's put, a basket is put over it. 
And the parable says that the lamp is Christ and his word. And we are not called to take this lamp and hide it away. Christ, like the light, is revelation. As the light reveals, that is what Christ does. He is to be revealed so that he can reveal. Since we are bringing a light into a room, light is promised to reveal. We are to be an expectant people, right? When you turn on the light in a room, if you open a room and it is dark and you flip the light switch, you expect for that light to illuminate and show all that is in the room. Thus, we bring Christ with us and display his light and we expect for light to reveal. Expecting the light to do its work, to do its work in us and to do to revealing the darknesses in our own hearts and to reveal what is around us to the soils in which we are sowing. As Pastor Matt Hardy said last week, unless God works, this whole thing is pointless. Unless God does something, we have nothing. We preach the gospel expecting him to work, expecting him to save. Then we have the parable before us, which is still yet focusing on the sowers, all who are commissioned to scatter the seeds for the kingdom coming. This parable teaches us how the kingdom advances. It settles now our expectant hearts. This parable comforts and clarifies the work of the expectant sower. So I've titled our time this morning, When the Sower Sleeps. When the slower sleeps, because it's here that we can know what we can do. Well, what we can know, what we can do, and what we are to expect. What we can know, what we can do, and what we are to expect for kingdoms grow. Three points for us to consider this morning. Know, do, expect. Let's look to our text. It's short, so we might reread it a few times. Verse 26, chapter 4 of Mark's gospel. And he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But, then, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We immediately see that when the sower sows the seed... The word of God, it will grow. Our first point, what can we know? That's what we know. We know that when we sow the seed, it grows. God has said it, so it is true. But we also know that not every seed in every soil will grow. We know that not every seed will grow and take its root and bear fruit. Some seed will be taken away by Satan. Some seed will grow too shallow for the roots to take hold. Some seed will be choked up by the cares of this world. But there is a truth that these examples testify that God's will will not, that God's word will not return void. We see this at the Genesis. When it was spoken into the chaos, it created order. When it washed away in judgment the wickedness of this world, it created and provided an ark. We see that when his people were captives time and time and time again, it was by his word that they were free and free and free. 
And when his children were born under the sinfulness of this world, his word recovers them. His word redeems them. And his word fills them with rapture. His word never returns void for his good pleasures. Amen. Amen. What we can also know is that the seed will take root and continue to grow. First the blade, then the ear, then the corn within the ear. Family, if you're a believer in here this morning, you can know and sleep well knowing that the seed sown in the soil of your heart will take its root and will be grown by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not merely beautiful imagery that we can stop and point at and go, wow, but an actual truth that we can settle, that we can rest in. That we can, like the sower does here, sleep with. That there is a dangerous interpretation we can fall into here. We can incorrectly come to believe that the work of growing is done through the human-inspired quality of the soil. Human hearts do not produce faith of themselves. The reality of the four soils is you and I are the three that come before the good soil. That is who we are. God does the work to change our soil from hard or shallow or divided to good, fresh soil. There is a great mystery in the parable for us to acknowledge that this is God's work. That it's God's work to take the seed, to make it take root, and it's God's work to grow the seed into a fruitful product, and the sleeper sleeps with this in their minds that God will do the work. Verse 28 says that the earth produces by itself. That the earth produces by itself. The Greek here is literally translated to automate. Or automatically. It's without human effort or agency. Therefore, the growth of the seed is the secret of God's handiwork. However, in what we don't know about the mysterious working of God, we find another thing that we can know. That there is a harmony between the soil and the seed that has grown in it. That the seed grows because there is nourishment. See, when the word of God, when he takes, sorry, the bad soil and he makes it good, when your heart has been awakened, softened, it knows exactly what it needs. And it's what the seed provides. Wake up this morning. If we turn this, this illustration inward, when you have been saved by the mysterious grace of God, you now have a heart that knows what it needs. It needs more of what the word of God provides. It needs the work of God in his grace. It needs the work of God in his mercy. It needs prayer and fellowship. It needs feasting and fasting. It needs quiet and it needs community. It needs rebuke and it needs affection. You may say, Justin, I don't feel those needs. This is hard. I don't feel it. And I will tell you, family, once again, to examine the soil of your heart and know that there is no work for you to do other than to sow some good seed and stop sowing the bad. 
Stop sowing the seeds that will grow into thorn and thistles and ask God, beg God to change the soil of your heart because you know that this is his work. And we turn this outward. We can know that because this is God's work, life comes. Growth comes not from our hands. It is not by my authority as the preacher that salvation would come. No. But through the personal conviction, through the personal faith, through the personal love of the hearer, which only comes from God. That is his work. May we not be a people who are satisfied, though, with just knowing this. Because this parable gives us more than just an awareness of knowledge. It gives us of an awareness of what we are called to do. And it gives us an awareness of, of what we can expect, where our emotions can be tied to as well. The danger of knowledge alone, the danger of orthodoxy alone is that we come to love, we come to idolize what we know. And then we have no practice or no feeling uh, out forth of what we know, birthed out of what we know. Which brings us to our second point. What can we do? This parable shows us what we can do. Look at verse 26. The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. He, see, he sleeps and rises night and day. This is what, by the kindness and grace of God, the sower gets to do. He sows and he sleeps. He sows and he sleeps. And there's a reservation in here, right? He cannot grow the seed. What does it say right after? The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. We sow, we sleep, we don't grow. The growing's not ours to do. This is reserved for God. We cannot make it spring up or grow. We cannot make it take its root. Spurgeon puts it this way. Seed once sown is beyond human jurisdiction and under divine care. But then we see something else we can do in verse 29. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle. We are allowed, we get, we are privileged to harvest it when it is time. And this allowance is a duty and a gift to us. It's important for us to begin with what we can know in order for us to truly see what we can and cannot do. We can sow and we can sleep, but we cannot grow, but we can harvest. Allow me to make my case for each. We can sow. Anyone, man or woman, is to sow. Any person who has been saved by the grace of God and given the gift of faith in Christ Jesus' work on the cross, any person who knows truth is called by God to do truth. In the case of this parable, is called then to sow the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ into the sowers. There is no one in the family who this sacred work is not anointed to do. From the mother nursing her babe 
to the person in the working class, to the boy at school, to the elder in their last years of life before seeing glory, this sacred service of sowing the seed in the soils is to all. And though there is more work yet for us to do, this is only one of three. Even if this was it, though, even if our work was just to sow, what a gift. What a great privilege it is to be sowers of the word of God. My point is that in sowing seeds, we should give our all to carry this out because God did not have to give us anything to do. But in his grace, in his Kindness, he not only calls us to the work, but equips us to do the work. We must be sure that any other call to work is not more a priority than this. And we must also make sure that we get the details of this work right. In the early 2010s, there was a very popular phrase I've heard this many times over and over and over that motherhood is the highest calling for a woman. This is a lie. This sowing seeds, sowing seeds is the highest call to minimize this call to only those who are called to fulfill a portion of this role in motherhood is a lie. And the same goes for fatherhood. Parenting is an avenue for some in which sowing happens. So it's certainly not the farm. We must be sure that we get what the job is and the weight of the job and the language of the job right. We must also be sure that the seeds we sow are the right seeds. We should be showing the word of God. Again, this is why what we know is important. We must know truth to sow truth. And we must make sure that the truth is not variations of the truth. The gospel is the gospel is the gospel. And there is no other gospel worth sowing lest you sow among the good seed seeds of thorns and thistles that will grow to strangle the good seed. Don't sow weeds. Don't sow weeds, family. This is a call to be sharp. This is a call to be sharp in what we believe. Because people will not be saved by our word. They'll be saved by God's. We must teach, we must preach, we must live in light of the whole gospel because our children are watching, our neighbors are watching, our family members are watching, the world is watching. Be sharp, family, and preach the word. Sow the seed. Be as Paul called us to be in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jew, I am a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I am under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became one as outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. 
so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. By all means, I might save some. And I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Family, we should be the kinds of sowers who are looking to be generous, liberal sowers of the word of God. Because Romans reminds us, how then will him believe who have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? There is no farm, no farm, no soil of the heart that produces without sowing. Sow the seed, family. So we can can do, we can sow, we can do sowing, right? We're also called to sleep. We're also called to sleep. And after sowing, we're called to sleep. Not every part of the process of advancing the kingdom is an active gift for us to participate in. What the parable emphasizes in this specific moment and what we must make sure to keep in our minds is that this is the point of the parable, that there is a mystery to the growth. That the way it grows is mysterious to us. We cannot cause the growth because we do not know how it grows. If it is beyond our knowledge, then it is beyond our power to even contribute to its workings, right? I am reminded of my little game, Stardew Valley, because I'm not a real gardener. If I was really a gardener, then I wouldn't use this analogy. But in this game, I have tilled the soil. I have added the fertilizer. I have sown the seeds. I have built up defenses to keep out the ravens and the animals from digging it up. And yet some will grow and some will not. Why is this? It's not for me to know. It's not for me to know. And even when that little bud shows itself from the soil, Can I turn that into a fruit? Can I make that grow? No. Instead, I go inside the house and I sleep. I sleep. As the scripture says, I sleep and I wait for God to bring the fruit. I have no hand in this process. With intention, God has made us aware of our frailty and limitations, lest we think that the glory is ours. In this process, we are aware of our inability to be the end-all, be-all. Remember, family, even the seed is not our seed. We are participating, but this work is God's work. And the participation is a gift to us. Our sleeping comes as a reminder that we have a God who is smarter than us, that we have a God who is more powerful than us, and a God who loves us so much that he doesn't emplace the impossible burden of advancing his kingdom on our shoulders. This is his work for his glory and yet still for our good. This is his work. And we get to be joyous about sowing, and we should be equally joyous about sleeping. Sleep, family. 
Sleep, family, for when you do, you are trusting in the words of Jesus to take root and grow by the complete power of God. And this mystery belongs to the Lord of the harvest. Our business is humble and straightforward. We sow and we sleep. And in both, we find no triumph for our works, no boasting in our ability to participate, both sowing and sleeping, our dependent, are dependent on God's work. The seed is sown, the sower sleeps, and the seed grows. What's next for us to do? Verse 29 says, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. We get, to, we get to reap. After trustful sleeping in God's working in the heart and producing fruit, the sower is called out again to reap the ripe fruit produced. This is a work in the same business as the two that come before it, a work that is completely dependent on God in the gift of being able to participate. We anticipate the finishing of the growing we've been watching God do, and now that the fruit is here, the parable says we come at once to bring a new brother or a new sister into the household of faith and into the arms of the new family. We harvest the work that God has done by bringing in those whom he transformed, those who he grew into faith. We bring them in. There is no Christianity family that begets confinement. There is no form of Christianity that pursues individualism. No, we grow together. We are together. The fruit is gathered together. What the Lord has made grow, he calls us to bring together so that he can keep it safe. And we do it at once. At once. We don't wait until we feel like it. We don't wait to see how they'll fizzle out. No, we bring them in. We reap the harvest of God at once for his glory. It's the same vein of Luke 10, verse 2. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The goal of this work is ripened fruit ready for harvest. Let's pray for those hearts which we sow into. Let's pray for the hearts we sow into. And let's pray hard and at once when the fruit has made its existence evident. Bring them home to the glory of God. I will close with this final point. What what do we expect? I said before that this parable shows us what to know, what to do, and what to expect. But exploring the first two has already answered the third, right? And so I leave you with these reminders. By God's grace and to his glory, we will see fruit. Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. We sow 
And we do it with expecting, expectant longing and prayerful hearts that we will see God's growing power and the fruit that comes from it. How God gives the growth, the parable makes clear, is a beautiful mystery to us. But you can only be expectant. If you are sowing, right? You can only expect the harvest if you sow. To those who have obeyed the call to happily sow will experience the blessing of the reaping of God's mysterious work. Ask yourselves this morning these questions. Have I created a contentment in my heart that's okay with pulling up empty buckets every year? Have I made excuses for myself year after year that this life is not sowing? This is my life. I'm just not a sower. And that's okay. Or are, are you making excuses to not sow generously? Those are people I don't want to reach. I don't feel called to do that. You convinced yourself that that's okay. Ask yourself, have I abused the truth of God's mysteries to not participate in what he's invited me to? In our, like, reformed subculture, right, we do this all the time. It's God's work. Even the things that is called for us to participate, we say, I'm not doing that because it's God's. This is a pitfall for us. Ask yourself, have we done this? Have you done this? Am I not expecting a harvest because I have not sown? Am I not expecting the chairs in this building to be filled because I'm not sowing and I'm not sleeping and I'm not reaping? Ask yourself, family, because a lack of expectation has historically been a great cause of failure in God's laborers. But don't also expect that every soil will turn a fruit immediately. Some soils need longer time because God in his omniscience knows the work that that soil needs and we cannot do it. Not every soil is equally on pace for ripening. And this is good for us because it gives us, again, the great mystery of growth in front of our eyes. God will do what he needs to do for his harvest to be made real. But also, as we expect a harvest, may we not expect every seed to bloom. Some seeds will be devoured by ravens. Some seeds will be withered by the sun. Some seeds will be choked by the thorns. Not every seed will see its harvest. In a personal example that I can tell you, there are people in my life I have spent actual years preaching to and praying for, and yet the seed still has yet to bloom. 
And every time I can see it, most often I see it being taken away by the ravens. And what Jesus says is that it's being taken away by Satan. I've seen it only once has it grew. And then it was scorched by the sun. I have seen it. That's the furthest I have ever seen it get with these people. Years, family, years of sowing, not every seed will see its fruit. And yet, as the first parable of the soil tells us, expect a big harvest. Expect a big harvest. He says a hundredfold harvest. A hundredfold. Some seed will bear more than one fruit. One day, that heart will be a sower. Think how beautiful a privilege the work you have been invited to do is. You sow, you pray, you sleep, you reap, and then they sow and they harvest. And that harvest sows, and that harvest reaps, and that harvest sows, and that harvest reaps. All because you were once sown in yourself. What beauty and what power of God to do such a work with broken things. And also let us remember that one day the work will be completed. That one day the work will will be finished and there will be no more sowing and there will be no more reaping just forever sleeping oh church let us work today looking to the day when god's kingdom is filled with his children that every ear who is able to hear will be with us, resting together with us. Let us be expectant for that day, the day of the Lord, to rejoice, to rejoice that the work is finished indeed. But until then, let us sow, let us pray, let us wait, let us sleep, let us reap, so that the day that that happens, it is a full day. Amen? It is a full day, a crowded day. This parable is about what happens in the sleeping. We sow so we can sleep. And we sleep knowing that God does the work. That this is his work. We sleep with joyful expectancy that God's will will be done. And when we sleep, we are not intruding on the work of God, not stepping on his work. No, when we sleep, we are exhibiting the utmost trust in God's work and relinquishing any idea that we know the mysterious work of God, that we can do the mysterious work of God. But when the sower sleeps, when we sleep, we expect the work of God to be done. Amen.